0: We are blessed to live in the most prosperous nation in the entire world. It's clear that living in the United States of America is a freedom for which all of us who live here should be grateful. We cut our teeth learning the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And living in the land of the free and the home of the brave is certainly a glorious privilege. But what if there is a curse to our treasured American Christianity? What if the abundance of the physical have unwittingly generated a dearth of spiritual vitality? It's a truth we need to hear, and we see it powerfully displayed for us in the pages of God's word here. In Ezra chapter 5, Ezra 5 verse 3 reads, At that time, Tatnai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shathar Bozani and their colleagues came to the Jews and said, who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure? They also asked him, What are the names of the workers who are constructing this building? But God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop until a report was sent to Darius so that they could receive written instructions about this matter. Ezra 5 picks up for us the storyline that we've been following from Haggai and Zechariah regarding rebuilding the temple. After Zerubbabel had started to build the temple in 538 BC, the surrounding peoples, also known as the Samaritans, began to oppose this rebuilding project. Now this opposition was partly due to to their frustration with Zerubbabel after he rightly refused to allow them to help with the building process because they continued to worship other gods. Now the tension became so great that eventually Darius forced the work to stop for 17 years until 520 BC. Now while the Jews initially stopped building because of their opposition, We learn from the rebukes of Haggai and Zechariah that there were some among their ranks who were more interested in hijacking the plans of God to further their own micro-kingdoms rather than rebuild the temple of God. Haggai even implies that some of the ornate carpentry donated by King Cyrus for the temple work was instead stolen and installed in some of their own houses. You see, the people had traded God's purposes for their pleasures. Amid this frustration, Haggai began to preach his message of repentance. And these people received remarkable grace and providential provision. Yet, in the face of such provision, they had chosen to consume the goodness of God on themselves. And as a result, their crops were failing because there was no rain. They were starving to death. Now, nice houses may be a good thing, but they won't put food on your table. And it was as if they had put their wages into a bag with holes in it. That's the imagery that Haggai uses. And so Haggai, along with Zechariah, preached against this arrogance and this presumption. And the Jews rightly responded in repentance and resumed work on God's temple. And God watched over them and protected them. Amid the opposition around them. That's the entire message of Zechariah. Ironically, the call to rebuild, though, actually ignited a chain of events that eventually led to their vindication in building the temple. Remember, due to the accusations of the Samaritans, the Persians had pulled the funding for the entire project. And so when some Samaritan naysayers blew the whistle on the call to rebuild, and wrote a letter back to Darius essentially snitching on them, their petty attempts to stop the work actually backfired, because we learn in the next chapter that when they searched the archives, the king even issued an edict instructing the people from the surrounding regions to leave them alone and let them continue construction, which they completed in 515 BC, precisely 70 years after it was destroyed according to Jeremiah's prediction in Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. So how do we apply all this? Well, it's pretty simple. We too were a people once in captivity due to our sin. And according to God's covenant love and miraculous provision, God has liberated us to again return to the restored promises of God. Remember, this land that these people lived in represented much more than their homeland. It was the land that had been promised to them. That's so much more than land. See Jeremiah 32. This was about the covenant promises of God. And these people were returning to build a place that symbolically would represent the presence of God again with his people. But they had traded that presence of God for their present materialism. They wanted what was rightfully God's for themselves. Even though they were supposed to be celebrating the restored promises of God as a result of their emancipation and realizing the covenant blessings that accompanied that, their pride and greed had precluded them from discovering all that God had in view for them in their return home. All they could see was what they wanted. And as a result... These people that should have been reveling in their glorious return are now starving in the very place that they should have prospered. This tragic outcome was due to their lack of honoring God with what they had and instead hoarding what God had given them for themselves. Now I wonder how much of God's blessings do we forfeit by living in the land of abundance because we are hoarding God's blessings and heaping them upon ourselves selfishly rather than giving to those in need. Should we not more explicitly focus our efforts on the rebuilding of God's kingdom rather than our own? You know, I grew up in church. I've been in church my whole life and I have been in so many churches where I have watched the people of God and the pastor set before those people lead their own micro kingdoms rather than being about the kingdom work of God in the world. They were supposed to be about building the name and the fame and the presence of God within the local body, but instead, they made it about themselves. Like the Jews, they were people who were supposed to be using these resources from God's kingdom work to build a place for his presence, and yet they were using these blessings on themselves. This condition is the state of the church today. Rather than focusing on building a house for the presence of God in the lives of his people and concentrating our efforts on obeying God's commands in the world, namely the Great Commission, we have instead constructed edifices that mirror our wants and desires. We have used God's goodness to heap selfishly upon ourselves what we want. The American church is by far the wealthiest in the world. And all the while, we ignore the very reason that God paid our ransom and rescued us from captivity in the first place. Namely, the promulgation of his gospel to the world beginning with our Jerusalem. But we'd rather ignore them than we would reach them. Just consider where the American church spends its money. On buildings, paid staff, Slick marketing campaigns. All the while, the Church of God in America is in steep decline. We're all trying to get people to come here rather than going to them. Meanwhile, the Church of God in places like China, India, Cambodia, and Central America have none of the resources that we have. But they are experiencing explosive growth. They have no buildings, no budgets, no paid staff, no marketing campaigns, but God is pouring out his spirit upon them. More than ever before, we in America need to do as the people of God did. May the preaching of God through men like Haggai and Zechariah move us to repent of our presumption. When we repent, God will pour out the latter rains of his blessings on us. But we must forsake our selfishness and commit ourselves again to the commission work of building God's temple in the hearts of men through making disciples under the order of our king. Otherwise, we can expect to have nice, beautiful, paneled houses all the while starving spiritually. The preaching of Haggai and Zechariah could not be a more poignant teaching for us today. We must return our focus both personally and corporately to the purpose of our redemption. We were delivered from our slavery so that we could experience God's presence, so that we could obey his mandates and live again in the promises restored to us after our fallenness had relinquished them. So God, help us to use your kingdom for your purposes, not ours. Remind us why you've delivered us from captivity. You rescued us to have communion with you and be about your business, that business of making disciples, not so that we can hoard and wastefully abuse the blessings that you've given us. Lord, forgive us for our selfishness. May your church be constructed according to your plans and wishes. And don't let us hijack your mission for the world for our own purposes. Please help us to stop building buildings and start building people. May we realize that this kingdom work is not the responsibility of the hired help, but for us all, and help us to recognize that our drought in spiritual things comes from our own disobedience. Help us to abandon the foolish materialism that demands our way in view of the God who inaugurated our deliverance, initiated our return, and gave us the great commission to make disciples of all nations. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to SouthSeminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.